0: Amen. So good to be reminded that the thing we most need, the thing that uniquely the church is called to be is that house of prayer for all nations, that place where God's presence moves and we feel the burden of our lives lift away and we encounter him uh, so powerfully. So uh, praise God for that. Praise God for a little bit of sunshine and break from 80 degrees and muggy and wet all the time. Uh, And as you come in, you can see that new wall uh on this side i mean it's you can see the deep hole but now you can start to see that wall which means a year from now we won't be worshiping in this room uh and uh and you can also see the parking lot it's okay to park down there now and um, we'll give you a couple free sins for the week if you park down there and make room for our visitors uh especially if it's raining uh no we can't do that but uh but uh but that is great that we have that parking lot so people don't have to circle around finding a parking space and and all that so so praise God as we're into this new ministry year I I did want to draw your attention as we're into it we've we had you know a record amazing year giving this past year and we're we're six weeks into our new year and we're starting off a little sluggish so I just wanted to draw that to your attention maybe some of you say hey I haven't made the gift that I want to give or to pray about that. Uh, because every time we make that known to you, you are so awesome. You always respond, uh, and it's only by your response that we pray and move forward. We only go as far and as fast as you resource the ministry, and you have been so generous and in pacing that ministry. So I just want to draw that to your attention just a few weeks into the new year. We're a little behind, and we're watching that carefully uh, because the plans that we have, we think we've we prayed about and really what God has laid on our hearts is his best for this place. But it, it does depend on our response for us to be able to fulfill all of that. So so just take that uh, for whatever God tells you to do for you who make this place work. We're so thankful. Um, as we move into this series, we're coming to a, a point of a mission. And, and it it made me mindful of this old Tom Cruise movie. It's before, way, way before Mission Impossible. Uh, and it's this, this movie, he's a He's an Irish immigrant, and there's an Oklahoma land drive out, out in the West. And, and he's never ridden a horse before. Uh, and he's basically told that, you know, if you, you can have land as far as you can ride. And, and he, he comes to this horse dealer, and there's, there's only two horses left. There's this one wild, unbroken, untamed stallion, you know, of a Mustang crazy horse. Uh, and, and that one scares him to death. And he asks if there's any other alternative. And the horse salesman says, well, there's this horse over here. I mean, he later tells that he's never seen a horse older than this decrepit looking thing. And of course, Tom Hanks has to make, or Tom Cruise has to make the choice and he chooses the old horse. Of course, wouldn't we all, uh, and, and, and goes to sleep. And, and the next morning he wakes up and of course that horse died <laughs> in the middle of the night. <laughs> so he's got no other alternative but this unbroken horse. And I, I really think, like, what a metaphor for where a passage where Jesus is entrusting ministry, not just to the 12. If it were just the 12, we might say, hey, ministry of proclaiming the good news, casting out demons, praying prayers of healing, that only belongs to the elite. But but he's got the 72. And, and you think of, of the progress of the gospel often is on the unbroken, untamed, unschooled. It's the new who are open to. To have it that the Lord takes and He does incredible exploits. And we're, we're going to look at this passage. We're in Luke 10. It's interesting. In Luke 9, the 12 are given the same kind of thing. In Luke 10, it's the 72 to show that the, the plan of God is that everyone who is a follower of Christ is a messenger. This is kind of the gold standard. I actually, I, I saw an article in Forbes magazine that said the gold standard for any business is to make sure that every employee of that business feels like they're part of marketing and advertising, (laughs) especially through like social media and such. You want every employee to be a raving fan, you know, of of what you are putting forth. Jesus has that model. If you are a disciple, you also must be a messenger. And so we're going to look at this this passage, we're going to look at a couple parts, the beginning and the end, uh, and break out three important challenges to us. So after this, it's after the Lord was... Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. Now, these 72 went forth and did this. And then then I want you to see at the end of the passage how they return. It says, the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, Now we're gonna look at three things. I'm just gonna put those three things up here so you can see what's coming. We're gonna look first of all at who are the messengers. I like the word messenger, better than missionary. Who are the messengers? And then um, what do they do and why do they do that? So let's go back to the first uh, of Luke 10. And we see that um, the Lord sets apart these 70. Now these 70, we don't have their names. Um, this, this was an additional group, but I think the symbolism and, and the text vary whether it's 70 or 72. But I think the meaning here is the Lord is assembling the 70, like the 70 nations in Genesis 10. And he is sending out this, this team, uh, no exceptions. And he says here, his disciples are appointed and, and then they are sent. Uh, and and they're, they're sent to again be his messengers. And, and I love how he, he equips them. If you are Christ's follower, he appoints you and he sends you. Um, you are sent in the name of the sent one. Uh, this is, first of all, a part of your identity. You're not, you're not a messenger because of the things you do, but you're a messenger because you have received that place, that authority, that role in your life. And I love how Jesus looks at the world and how hopefully he is about it. He turns and he says, the harvest is plentiful. He looks at lost humanity, he looks at broken people, and he sees the potential. In fact, he even commands them when they go to a house and knock on the door, they're to call the people, they're to give a blessing of peace. They're to say, peace be to this house. That that he wants them to treat people as they potentially are, reconciled and redeemed, returning to God. And he says, And if they're not, they'll they'll reject your blessing. Uh, and and so he he sends them forth into this harvest with this great positivity. I I had to ask myself, do I look at humanity that way? (laughs) Especially when there's masses of it around me or in front of me (laughs) in a line. (laughs) I I, I think like, I had such a blessed upbringing. My, My grandfather was a farmer. He cleared 400 acres by the sweat of his brow and strength of his back. And I remember every fall, He'd get up on that combine. Sometimes he would say, like, he just would pull off to the side and he would just breathe prayers of praise and thanks because 50 years of farming in Indiana, weather with, um, you know, blight and drought and everything else, he says every year he had a crop. Every year. And he'd look out of that harvest and and give thanks to God for it. This is how Jesus saw humanity, though. He, He saw humanity as this harvest. And you'll note that he doesn't criticize the broken, unredeemed people who don't know God. He's not complaining about that. His complaint here is about the lack of laborers. I think we so often get it backwards, right? We complain about the culture. We, we, we want to throw stones at the culture. We want to throw rocks at broken people. We complain about what's happening in the overall world. And Jesus' complaint here is like, I'm looking at my people and say, who will labor? Who will, who will go? And when the harvest is ready, it's, that's such a delightful job. That's my favorite part of gardening, right? Is, is your harvesting, uh, and, and, and then look how Jesus says, says, you know, pray for God to send out laborers. Again, the bottleneck to the harvest, it's, it's not even money. It's not even our giving. Never in the Bible would say, oh, poor God, he doesn't have enough money to do what he's going to do with. I'm not, I'm not saying that's unimportant, but, but it's, our, it's us. It's the laboring. And so he says, pray the Lord will send out laborers. And then he says something that I wonder if it didn't alarm them. He says, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Yeah, that's a great metaphor. I, I, I'm sending you out as a plate of Oreo cookies to the preschool class. <laughs> Wonderful. It's going to be a short ministry. <laughs> you know, one wolf in a flock of lambs will make short work of them. Oh, they'll be gone. But, but imagine, so this image, though, is I'm sending out as lambs in the midst of, of wolves. Their natural enemy. Um, what a metaphor. Maybe they're thinking it's going to be a short ministry. I, I've heard I, heard, I had friends who, who we've talked and they said, ah, I'm not going to accept that call. That's being a call to be a sacrificial lamb. And I think how strange of us that we're going in the name of the one who was the ultimate sacrificial lamb. And we say, well, what was good for him is definitely not acceptable for me. <laughs> but, but, but he says here something that, that is amazing about the nature of this ministry. Um, Lambs are ultimately defenseless. Lambs don't have any defense. They don't have any horns. They don't have any claws. They don't bite. Uh, But he says that that that's how the kingdom is going to advance. Uh, It's not going to advance. His kingdom doesn't advance with tanks or guns or even laws or edicts. Uh, Laws and edicts cannot advance the kingdom of Christ. But but he says that it's it's going to advance through, through lambs that go forth without coercion. The gospel message is, there is no coercion to it. There is no manipulation. People should never, it is, it is illegitimate if in ministry in the gospel, if people feel bullied or buttonholed or cornered or we're talking to someone about the gospel and somehow they feel like, hmm, when that person talks to me about spiritual things in the gospel, I feel like I'm less than. That, that's not the way. He says, I'm sending you as, as, as lambs Uh, among wolves again you will never see this in nature but you will see this in grace it's such a powerful image in Matthew 10 kind of the same parallel Jesus says to his disciples I'm sending you as lambs among wolves and then he says be wise as serpents and innocent as doves another really interesting image that Jesus can look at the animal world and he can extract from it by grace this powerful principle now most of us have no love for snakes I know there's a few oddballs here who are herpetologists and you have a pet snake and that's all good for you but most of us when we see a snake our first reflex is how can I kill it right I'm not saying that's right I'm just saying that's our that's our response where's the stick that I can beat the thing to death with right and and he's saying here he takes the an aspect of a serpent and he says the the, and he joins it with an aspect of a dove. He says, be wise as serpents, but, but innocent as doves. And, and, and this idea of innocent and harmless. Again, no horns, no defense mechanism of a dove. And he joins it together. What, what is the power of a serpent? Is this, they're equipped to be able to get into places that no other animal can get in. You know, they can get in the tiniest places. You order, how did a snake get in the basement? <laughs> Sometimes we've had them in the church building, I hate to tell you. And it's like, how do they get in? They find a way that serpent, snakes are are famous for finding their way in where no other creature can enter. Any little space, any tiny opening will be sufficient for their purpose. And yet, if they're spotted trying to do that, all of us basically want to kill them. (laughs) So they've they've adapted and developed this way. And they'll, they'll wriggle in somehow. That's what a snake will do. It will wriggle into that advantageous position. And I think he's saying without any fangs, without, without any ability to do harm, we find a way to get in position to get people and to get into the place of a person's heart where they will have an openness to the gospel. With, with, with adroitness, um, uh, with resourcefulness, with perseverance, uh, we seek to get into people's lives. So be wise and cunning this way, but be as innocent with the innocence of the dove. And so that's, that's the commission, and it's to every Christ follower is to be a messenger. You could say every employee is in advertising. Um, but we do it without any kind of coercion, manipulation, or bullying. We do it in, in an act of service, and we, we have great industry, and we're innovative, and we're creative, and we ask why not, not how, but we, we, we think about how can we get this done? How can we, because there's not a problem with the harvest. The harvest is there. And, and the next thing we see, and, and it's in all the parallels, what do they do? The messengers of, of Christ were never ever sent in word only. They always were word and deed manifesting the fullness of Christ's reign in, in all of its dimensions, body, soul, spirit, supernatural, natural intellect, um, but they touched every way. It's at the end of Luke when the disciples thought that Jesus was the failed Messiah, they said, we're grieving one who is mighty in word and in deed. It, 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 it is never a gospel to simply say, well, someone brought words and description. They brought the dimension in, in all of its reality, and there's an element of, of overthrowing, the bondage of the world. This is what Jesus said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me to preach good news, right? To proclaim liberty for the captives, to bind up the brokenhearted, Uh, that that there are always the dimensions of every way in which we're broken is now put on notice, that there is a new kingdom here, And, and that wherever evil is experienced and in place, Or people have subjected themselves to put other things in the place of God and those things always have dominion over us. Uh, Or whether there's brokenness physically. Sickness is not God's ultimate plan for us. It was not what we were created to experience and it's not what we are gonna be redeemed for. Um, And and so when the apostles went forth, they they dropped these inauguration gifts of the kingdom of Christ. And the gospel in the gospels, is not yet Jesus died for your sins, because he hadn't yet. The gospel in the gospels is the kingdom of God is here. Repent. And in all of its, its domain. And so Jesus taught the disciples, he taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He didn't teach us to pray something that's not going to happen. And so they were, they were basically dropping notice in all the areas of brokenness. That evil's not going to win. And they were speaking boldly the gospel proclamation. They they were bringing healing to all the places of brokenness. They were overturning all the places of bondage and human darkness. And so we see them go forth. Now, now they experience incredible success. They come back and say, wow, the demons are subject to us in your name. I, I don't always know where and how supernatural darkness Is manifesting itself i don't have to all i know is in ephesians 6 paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against the spiritual powers of darkness in the heavenly places and what that what that rescues me from doing is ever making the human subject of that darkness and bondage my enemy because they're not the enemy i'm not wrestling against them i'm trying to liberate them Um, they're like the prize horse if you will that has been hijacked and there is an evil rider on top of that horse and through the gospel I have this jousting instrument and I'm trying to remove the evil rider to liberate the horse so that it can be in the service of my king that that's what um, spiritual warfare is about we're not warring against the people who are in bondage we want to liberate the captives and we want to heal the brokenhearted and every place where there is not the reign of Jesus but there's something else it's darkness. I mean, sometimes I know that it's supernatural darkness because I just pray, Lord, if this is supernatural evil, if this is the world forces of darkness, tell it it has no place here. It has no authority in this church. It has no right to be here. It has no authority on this planet. Jesus has won the victory. And sometimes when I pray that, things immediately change for the better. I'm like, wow, it really was just that. Other times it's taking, you know, it's gotten an ally in our flesh, in our mind, because so often, how does Satan reign? By telling us lies, and then we believe them. And then he's got a beachhead, and he's got a, a stronghold. But, but, but idols, they, they take dominion in this way. And, and these idols that will take dominion over us, they're never content until they extract all the life out of us. An idol is never content, something that is a substitute God that we look to instead of God, when we, that we should look to God himself on. They will always extract real life from us, and they, they are not content until they... They kill us. I I, I was dipping into Steve Jobs' biography, the authorized biography by Isaacson. You know, such a brilliant man in so many in so many ways. You know, came up with the um, the moniker of of the Apple with the bite out of it, which is just so spiritually interesting, right? Because like like that's how we got into this mess. is is kind of since we don't know it's an apple but that's the whole tradition right and and the original logo had a rainbow through it kind of saying yeah after we after we tried to be like a god it's just gone so great for the planet and us right and you're like no <laughs> it hasn't it's been horrible um but in in his in his biography and actually he's very suspicious of the technology he created we would do well to be more like him in this regard he he didn't like kids to have screen time at all young kids he really limited his own screen time. He was not one of these people who would go out to a restaurant with his wife and you know, they'd both be on their screens. You see that all the time, right? And just the screens, he's so disciplined. The screen didn't have dominion over Steve Jobs. Uh, but something else did. And, and, and the biographer points out that when he was a young man, he had this fascination with kind of almost health to the point of immortality through raw foods. And he went to an orchard at a young age and he ate nothing but apples for two weeks. Maybe that's where the Apple logo comes from. I don't know. Um, and, and he just was always fascinated. And he would, he had a hot temper. He wasn't the most pleasant person. If you read this, like, he, you know, he would storm out of restaurants because they didn't prepare the food properly or they didn't follow instructions or whatever. He's very temperamental about food. Well, um, he was at the doctor's and they were doing a routine exam and they discovered a growth on his pancreas. And of course, if you are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, uh, which they knew it was some form of cancer, you basically are on notice that you've got a few months to live. You better put your house in order. Uh, And so the doctor said, you get back here and we'll biopsy it. And so he came back and um, they biopsied it. And when he was waking up, the surgeons had tears in their eyes, but they were tears of joy because they said to Steve Jobs, they said, you have the one form of pancreatic cancer that is 100% curable and treatable. You can live the rest of a natural life, a lengthy long life. We are so thrilled. We'll do this Whipple procedure where we'll go in, we'll basically just take that tissue out and it's, it's not the kind that would have spread because we've caught it really early. But you know, because he had this fascination with raw food he decided to shun his doctor's advice despite their plead. Um, he decided that he was gonna cure this on his own. And so he went through all these rigorous diets that I don't think I could follow even if I thought my life depended on it. I mean, they were that hard to do, um, and he, he did them. He succeeded at all of them, um, and after nine months, he went in for a checkup and nothing had changed, so he said, all right, you can take the thing out. And when the doctors went to take out, they said, it's metastasized. It's spread in the nine months. And so he experienced that death sentence. And, and and I think like that whole mindset, looking to raw foods to be his savior, looking for that to heal him, looking, looking to something in creation, you know, was, was just in this element of darkness. And it did, does whatever these things do. These patterns of, of, of disobedience or unbelief or looking for fulfillment outside of a complete surrender to Jesus Christ, um, they... they sap us of life and they will destroy us. And, and that's why the message that we have is, is a message of liberation, It's a message of, of saying the peace of God is upon you if you'll have it. And, and so we're able to start that way. <laughs> I love the initiative of peace in this. It just, it, it so corresponds with what I understand the gospel to be, that we, we are able to look at the humanity, even broken humanity, and, and to proclaim to them that this is not the way things ought to be and that there is a God who loves them, who is within reach for them. Love how they went forth with that. They, they, they also went forth uh, with prayers for healing. Jesus did it and now they're doing it. You see how they're replicating the ministry and the life of Christ. I think sometimes in the gospels we actually miss it where the apostles fail to do what they were trained to do. I think one of the elements is the feeding of the 5000. You know when the crowds come and they're getting hungry and the disciples are all distressed and Jesus says to them he says, "You give them something to eat." I think like if they were really understanding their discipleship, the disciples would have would have prayed over the loaves and fishes and they would have been agents of this, but but they missed that opportunity. And so so th- there's just this replication of these miracles through them that's happening. And they went forth and, and, and people were healed. The, and they, again, these are like the prequels of the kingdom of God. It's like this is the movie trailer of what is to come. And, and I, I love how the, the first apostles evangelized. And you will look in vain for them to find a single verse in which they say, hey, you, we're here to help get you out of this mess and get you beamed up into heaven. You, they never say that. You will look in vain for a single verse about the rapture in the apostles or the New Testament. You'll never find them saying, we're here to get you out of this broken, fallen planet. You don't want to polish the brass on a sinking ship. You will never, ever find that. I dare you. Show me one. What you will find is the first apostles evangelized not by trying to sign people up for an apocalyptic evacuation, but by announcing that a new World order is here. The kingdom of God is here. And there's a new arrangement for human society where Jesus is the world's true king. And so they preached the kingdom of God. And they overthrew the darkness. And they took the authority of Christ into all the broken areas of the world. I think of a story, and and this often happens on the frontiers, right? They're going into the frontiers where it's just unbelief. And I think of a story that comes from the frontiers uh, of... um, you know, probably the early 1900s, last century. Um, The evangelist Reinhard Bonnke, if you haven't heard of his ministry, hundreds of thousands of people have heard the gospel through him, especially in Africa. And he describes a point where his entire family was in unbelief. I often think about that in terms of my own family, and and I wonder what the story was when nobody in my family even was attached to any aspect of Christianity. They weren't even nominally going to church. What were they? What was the mindset? And he describes that his family was, his grandfather was completely into darkness. There was no Christianity at all. He was from Germany. And he tells the story how um, his grandfather, um, who was very anti anything God, anything Christian, uh, dwelt in this small German community. And this evangelist was going through Germany uh, and they got lost, and they wound up off the beaten track, and they wound up in this backwoods area of Germany, Uh, and they were so frustrated, and they were like, how could, you know, how could I be led by the Spirit, and yet be so lost in this place, and here they are in this little rural community, no believers are there, nobody would come to their meetings, nobody would bring anyone to their meetings, and so the evangelist just said uh, to the people, they said, well, um, is there anybody sick in this village that I might go pray for them, And they all immediately answered. They said, well, there's this guy. And they were kind of laughing to themselves, knowing here's a Christian evangelist. We're going to send him to this fire-breathing, like anti-Christian guy who's in deep pain and bitterness, who all he does is swear and shout out curse words to God in the midst of his illness. And so they sent this evangelist to him and he he found this man who was writhing in pain and agony, something through his joints and body that must have been horrible to experience. And so this unknown evangelist, I don't even know that Bonky knows his name, he went and he prayed over his unbelieving grandfather and he was instantly healed, dramatically healed. People became believers around him, but but, but it set the stage for the gospel to ride its way into, into his life. And I think like that's, that's how the spirit of Jesus often works. I mean, I... I think of this pastor in the washington d c area when I ministered in washington d c if I, I, I remember a time when I went down to George Washington University Hospital, it took like two and a half hours to get there because i didn 't know about rush hour traffic. I was new there and, 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 and then you know just finding my way around that campus and finding this godly person who was going through a surgery, and I was talking to their former pastor who was retired. he was with them too. And I said, man, I'm a new pastor, but man, this is crazy. This is like a whole day to just come and pray for a member of my congregation getting surgery. And the pastor had kind of a gentle rebuke for me. He's He's like, well, why would you only come to pray for the believers in the hospital? He says, what I always do, he was schooling me. He's like, what I always do is I go to the nurse's station and I say, who's the most depressed, lonely, needy person on the ward who's a problem for you that I could go and visit and pray for? And he says, I always do that when I have this long trip. And then he says, they're always grateful. They're like, oh boy, you're going to get it now. You're going to trouble. And he says, like, that's what, he says, I would see God move on the frontiers. And that's where I'd share the gospel and pray. And I'd often see God do amazing things. That, that's, that's what's happening uh, through these apostles. And, and the final thing we see, and I love this, when they come back, we see why they do it. And And the 72 return and they're they're saying with joy lord even the demons are subject to us in your name this is a perfect way to for them to explain it the demons were subject to them but he says they say in your name and i think they they probably said that with a special enthusiasm lord even the demons are subject to us (laughs) in your name of course it's through you and jesus said to them I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, and I think he's he's both rejoicing. That has to be a happy thing to see him, the evil one, cast out of heaven. And, and then he affirms, "Yeah, I have given you authority. You have my authority to do this. I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you." But then he says, "Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this." And I think it's important for us to see this is a this is a kind of Hebraic ancient means of speech. He's not saying don't rejoice at all in Satan being defeated. Uh, he's saying rather rejoice in something else even more than you rejoice in this because it, it would be unnatural to say don't rejoice at all it's kind of like saying if, if if your kid was on a team a soccer team and they scored a goal and they're like bananas over that they're crazy but the team also won you're like hey yeah rejoice that you scored a goal but your whole team won <laughs> rejoice in that right <laughs> Don't just be this player who's in it for yourself, who draws power from your own success. That's, that's, that's what he's saying. He's not, he's not this Debbie Downer. Jesus is not Debbie Downer. He's not the person in your small group where you all like splurge and go to this great restaurant and you've all just enjoyed it. And somebody says, man, I praise God for how good the food tastes. And he's not the small group member to say, yeah, but you know what? For the same price of these entrees, we could have supported a starving child for a whole month. Yeah, he's not that person. <laughs> He's not the Debbie Downer. He's, he's, he's not the person who, 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 he's like, yeah, rejoice in this, but also rejoice in what lasts forever. You've, you've, so there's, there's a joy that needs to be put in perspective and there's a joy that needs exciting. And the joy that, that he wants to amplify is this, and I think he's, he's bringing the contrast. He says, rejoice that, not that just as the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's a contrast to when he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Satan fell by pride, right? And he doesn't want them to be tempted by pride to make their ministry something that feeds their spirits. In other words, there's a distortion of ministry where someone could be ministering and say, yeah, I use ministry to feel really powerful. It feeds my spirit and my sense of pride. That's really dangerous. You know, and I think like, it's good that I like to preach. It would be horrible if I needed to preach. It's good that I love to see lives changed by the gospel when I, when I share the gospel to them and I, and I serve you as your pastor. But it would be bad if I said, I need that for my own spirit. That's, that's my identity. That's wrong. We start to make ministry our servant instead of ourselves as God's servant. And so he's, he's saying this, but he says that your names are written. You know, in, in that day, it was startling to see your name written on anything, I mean, most all of us have seen our name written, right? <laughs> on like a certificate, maybe even, you know, a participation trophy. <laughs> we participated <laughs> and our name is on something. That wasn't the way then. They didn't have a lot of this. And here he's saying, Satan who has fallen from heaven, this, this glorious archangel, but your names have been engraved in heaven. I think you could say they've they've been, and, and Jesus could have told them more, like your names are written with my blood even before my blood is shed because I'm the lamb, the lamb sent into the world whose blood was shed before the foundation of the world. And he's saying rejoice in that that, it, that it can never, ever be taken away. And that's, that's how we have to minister. We have to minister out of that joy that we are the children of God and, and that we come from this place of security and our identity uh, is, is there. You know, last week, I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to share that I felt like somebody in the congregation, it would be their last week worshiping with us, or last week, last sermon that they would hear. Remember that? I mean, I, I felt strange to be prompted to say that, but I knew I had to say that, you know, because I always ask Jesus, like, is there anything you want me to say? And I try to obey that. And you know, um, that person was one of our beloved attenders, Charlotte who loves Jesus, who was ready to meet him, but who was here, who was feeling pretty good, who went out to lunch, went home, and then the Lord took her. And, and I was like, she would be glad because she was actually getting a little ticked that God was not taking her. She was so anxious to see him. She actually wore white to one of our worship services because she says, I'm wearing white to meet my bridegroom. I mean, she just loved Jesus, beautiful person. And, and, and the Lord took her. I don't, I don't know why exactly the Lord said that other than to remind all of us, we ought to listen to every sermon as if it's our last. And we ought to pay attention to everything that God conveys. But, but by application this morning, I'm going to take us in a little different direction as we conclude. Um, I can't say that I have a, a word about this from God, but let's assume that all of us are going to be alive a week from now. I, that may be completely bogus. There may be a lot of us who won't be here or there may be some of us who won't be alive a week from now. But I know we tend to assume, I'm going to be alive a week from now. If we're 95 years old, we tend to think, I'm looking forward to my 96th. But let's, let's just assume without presumption we're going to be alive a week from now. And I want us to close this out saying, with the one precious brief life that I'm given, what is God calling me to do in obedience to him in the next week? In other words, if God lets me stay on the earth one more week, what does he want me to do? Who are the people, the places, the outward motion that he wants me to take in obedience to his commission? And, and, and that might even reveal for us what the rest of 2018 is supposed to look like if God wants us alive at the end of 2018. And as I, as I was praying about that, and, and I felt God speak to me, and he basically said, and Bob, you cannot issue that challenge without knocking on at least three doors. It was about two o'clock on Friday afternoon. I'm preparing the sermon. and He's like, you got to go knock on three doors. <laughs> And I know door knocking is kind of out of fashion. I mean, I figure this time of year they're just grateful I'm not a politician. But like, I'm always impressed. The politicians—I mean, the actual candidates—come around and they knock, knock on the door and want to talk to me. I'm always—I'm always like, "Hey, man, what's your hope? What are you?" I try to find something. And I say, "Oh, I can agree to that part." But but so so I went and I I knocked on three doors and and as I did that, God said, "Hey, and you need to commit to knock on a hundred doors." You know, within your own neighborhood and within the neighborhood of the church because those those are two places that i can say and i can uniquely go to all of these homes with all of their gates right around the church with their doberman pinchers so pray for me um but i can go to them and i can say i pastor this church that is causing all this dust and dirt to fly you know and i just i want us to be a good neighbor to you i want you to i would love to share with you the hope that is driving us for what we're doing and, and I'd love to find out just your own experience with church. Are you actively involved in any local church in a meaningful way? If they are, fine, tell me about it. If, if they're not, then i am say, oh, well, you're why we're building this. And, and to have that conversation with them. And so, so pray for me as I take those steps of obedience, because that's what God said to me. But God also said to me that each one of you, well, well, that may be harder for you to do. You can't just show up at people's doors and say, I go to that church, although I'm not opposed to that. But you have a unique and invaluable network that is sovereignly crafted in your life. Nobody else has the network that you have as an individual. And the gospel means... God came after us. So we're not being faithful to the gospel if we just go after people who already have approached us. Like those are churches that hang out their shingle and send out their advertisements and whoever's already interested comes in. That's not faithful. It's faithful we got to go after because every single person on the planet, like these towns and cities, Jesus was about to go and he he wanted them touched. He wanted his word, his kingdom proclaimed. And so I'm asking you just like, what that next step will be and to go to go as doves maybe to listen first <laughs> find out what their experience has been go as go as far as god will lead you but i want to i'm going to just take a few minutes of quiet at the end of the service and let you pray and say god if you let me live another week what am i supposed to do in this next week as steps of obedience to this and then we'll close out in a song of praise so father speak to our hearts Help us to be messengers. Bring the people, the conversations, the ways of doing this to mind. And clothe us with power from on high.